Hello there, FACI Forum listeners. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to share a great new free resource that I have created for you. Well, for you and for everyone that follows me and everyone I know and interact with that is set up to help you through the challenging holiday season. It is not always the easiest time to stay on point with your nutrition and your activity and your goals and all of those things during this season. So I have created Gourmet's Holiday Hangout. It is a Discord server that you can join through the link in the show notes, completely free, and it is a growing community of people who just want to be able to support each other and have that daily accountability. You can share your goals. You can share what you're working on. You can also talk about the challenges you're facing as we move through this holiday season. So check that out if you are interested. It is in the show notes. You know, that's where all the links are, all the ways you can support the show. But this is a new one that I want to make sure you check out if you are interested in getting just a little boost of holiday support. It's there for you to use as you need. There's no requirements on you have to do X, Y, and Z every day. It's just there for you to participate, get to know some people, and find those extra levels of accountability you need as we move through the end of the year. So I'm excited to let you know about that. And now on to the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is Gourmet, and I am happy to be sitting down with you to bring you another episode of the show. Are we in December when this episode drops? We might be. But it's not December while we're recording. We're actually recording this Thanksgiving week. So, you know, we're heading, ramping up into the holiday seasons. And I'm excited to sit down with this guest. You know, as can often happen, you know, we work through some tech issues, but we're making it happen. So I am excited to have Devin Whittle with me here today. Devin, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, Gourmet. Um, Happy to be on the podcast. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. Uh, We've been connected online for a while, and I'm excited to get to dive deeper into the, your journey that you've been on, you know, for most of your life and all of that. So let's not keep people from it. Let's get into it, man. Tell us what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum. Well, <clears throat> I believe that my, uh, my struggles with food started um, probably when I was around five, uh, back in the year 2000. I was born in 1995. <clears throat> I come from a divorce background. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was a young age. Um, shortly after that, when I was about five years old, my mom remarried. And early on, um, I have a memory of wanting something to eat shortly after he moved into the house with us. And my mom said, let him have it. And my stepdad said, no. And in me, uh, that made me want things that I couldn't have, especially, obviously we're talking about food here. Um, but it, it created something in me that said that if I can't have it, it makes me want it more. And so, uh, early on in my childhood, I would compulsively overeat when I was probably 10 or 12. I was, I was still in elementary school I believe Uh, my parents took me to an endocrinologist because I was an overweight kid and they didn't know why I remember the endocrinologist very clearly to this day at 28 years old I remember him telling me that you either have to exercise every day for the rest of your life or you will have to live off of nuts and vegetables Um, 
And that struck fear in me at a young age. Now, mind you, I'm talking to you as a grown man, but from the perspective of a 10 or 12 year old kid, having to look ahead 50 years, you know, thinking about diabetes and heart failure and all the things that come with being overweight, it struck fear in me. And so fast forward a few years, you know, I was, I was an artistic kid. I started playing piano in the third grade. Uh, started playing the saxophone in the sixth grade, and I remember as a kid, we would go out and get Halloween candy. You know, all kids love, most kids, I won't say all kids, most kids love going out on Halloween night and, you know, riding around the neighborhood and picking up candy. Well, things were a little different for me because, remember, the doctor had just told me that this was always going to be a struggle, and um, so we would go and we would get the candy and we would bring it back, and we put it in a big bag, and it would usually sit there for most of the year. But as I started playing saxophone, um, I had the idea that, you know, I wasn't going to eat any candy where anyone could see me. But if I could go to the kitchen and, and open the pantry really quietly and get to that candy late at night when everyone was asleep, then I could take it back to my room, I could eat it, late at night and then I could take the wrappers and hide them in my instrument case so I started doing that and you know under my bed you know fill in the blank wherever you know I've flushed wrappers down the toilet just anything you can imagine to try to um, hide any trace that I was eating something that I shouldn't be eating um, and during that time, I, shortly after I went to the doctor at a young age, my mom and my dad and my stepdad got together and they said, well, we'll get a treadmill and every night he'll walk on the treadmill for 30 minutes. <clears throat> well, that created in me a massive distaste for steady state cardio, as you can probably imagine. Um, and so I continued to age, um, Continued to eat compulsively, overeat, indulge myself. Um, when I was around 15, I started working at a coffee shop. You know, we'll say a year later, my mom, my, my mom and my stepdad purchased the coffee shop. It's actually where I work now. Um, and that just intensified my issues with food. Now, not only am Am I eating Halloween candy? But, man, I've got an entire restaurant of fresh-baked muffins and scones and pastries. Oh, my. You know, I, I have pick of the litter first thing in the morning, hot and fresh. Um, and it really amplified once I was in my late teen years um, because I've always been big. Right now, as I talk to you, I am... About 345 pounds. Um, I was an overweight kid. I have been over 400 pounds twice. Um, most recently, last year. Um, or no, earlier this year. Most recently. And, <clears throat> you know, as, as getting back to the original question, um, I think the thing that qualifies me for this podcast is, 
you know, all of my life, I have fought an uphill battle with disordered eating and, you know, compulsive addictive patterns, whether it be with food, whether it be with drugs and alcohol, um, and it all compounded and turned me into a really big man. Um, and, and I don't say that with any, any kind of humor or uh, sarcastic tone. I, I mean, I, it got to a point earlier this year, I was, I was up in North Carolina after doing three weeks in inpatient intensive treatment at a program that specialized in treating people with eating disorders. Now, when I got there, I was probably somewhere in the ballpark of 375. And I remember the entire time I was there, I wanted to weigh myself and they kept saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I understood why, because, you know, you and I both know what the scale can do to our mental health. So, you know, I just complied, did what I had to do. Well, when I moved into, I chose to move back into sober living after I left because there were insurance issues. That's a, that's a whole other episode. Um, so I moved into sober living and I got my scale, that prize scale that I'd been just waiting to get on the entire time I had been in this program. It's a 400 pound scale. I still have it. It's in my bedroom. And when I got on, it said error. So all that told me was that I was over 400 pounds. Now, from the time that I got to that program to the time I moved into sober living, it was less than a month. So I I can confidently say, Gourmet, that in a month, I gained 25 to 30 pounds at this program. I was not allowed to exercise. The only exercise I was allowed to do was yoga occasionally, but only you can only do intense yoga after so many weeks in the program. And I wasn't there long. You know, this is this is an issue I've had my entire life at 27 years old at the time. And I only got to spend three weeks in treatment doing therapy and talking through this stuff in groups. And, you know, so I didn't I didn't really get to the point until the last week where I could do in, intense yoga. And I, I wanted to go out and I wanted to walk around or try to jog or just something, you know. And, um, it was, it was one of those programs, I'm sure you're familiar and you've heard about the health at every size movement or whatever. And it was one of those programs, but see, I didn't do a lot of digging before I went. I just had a mentor come to me and say, I, you know, after I ended up in the hospital from overeating and I was having, you know, sharp stinging pain, um, the next night when I woke up, he said, you think you might need to get some help? And, you know, it, it, it has gotten to a point or it had gotten to a point where if somebody said I needed help, I just complied. I, you know, initially, you know, talking about drugs and alcohol, initially I had a hard time even considering myself an addict, but later on after being in circles where I was able to talk about my addiction and my compulsive behaviors, if somebody said, I think you need help, it almost became a crutch for me. Like, I can just go here 
and I can I can live here and and they'll help me and I'll be able to talk about these things. And so I just went and after being there and finding out what kind of program had been created, I realized that it wasn't what I needed. Um, and, and I won't get too far into this, but I'll just say that it's a dangerous game when, now this is just my opinion, um, but it's a dangerous game whenever someone can go to a program like that in a vulnerable position, knowing that they need help, knowing that they're every day, they're, they're, um, just hurting themselves more and more. And they get there and they spend their time there. And then insurance says, we, we're not going to cover it anymore. The program says we can't get in contact with insurance. So we're just going to have to cut you loose. Now they tried to make it a smooth transition for me, but I was two States from home, you know, um, in an unfamiliar environment, not very close to anyone that I really knew or that had anyone that I had had contact with recently. And so I was in a really bad place. And then now I'm back home. This is, you know, we're recording this Thanksgiving week. Um, I'm back home. Like I said, my current weight now, after leaving this program that was going to supposedly help me is 345 pounds. Now that's, that's a lot. Even though I'm six foot tall, 345 pounds is, is still a lot of weight to be carrying on my hips and my knees. And, but the point that I'm trying to make here is health at every size isn't for everybody. I didn't need anyone to enable me. I didn't need anyone to coddle me. I didn't need anyone to make sure that I ate every scrap on my plate. I needed someone who was willing to tell me, no, you can't have that. No, this is going to kill you. No, do better for yourself. And I didn't get that at that program. <clears throat> I later reconnected with, um, I believe Larry Owen has been on your show. Um, he and I connected and he gave me some resources. Pretty involved with the Keto Man's Club on Facebook, the Facebook group. Um, and the thing that works for me the best is low carb living, you know. Um, now, don't don't get me wrong, man. If I <laughs> if I want a sandwich, I'm gonna eat a sandwich. I modify it. It it might be open faced, it you know, or I might just have the sandwich meat with the cheese. Um, but I try not to make myself feel like I'm deprived. Anyone. Anyone that looks at anything on my Instagram or my Facebook, if they see what I'm eating, no one's going to think, he must be starving, because I eat really well. You know, I'm fortunate my mom owned a restaurant, and um, I have resources now, I have connections, and I'm very plugged in with the recovery community, both on the ED side and the drugs and alcohol side, and um, I have people in my life that hold me accountable, pillars that I lean on, and <clears throat> I think getting to the end of this, um, I think that's the most important thing. That's, that's the key takeaway. Maybe you're a health at every size person and you're listening and you're disagreeing with everything that I'm saying. But if you, if you are here 
what I'm about to say, everyone has the thing that's going to work for them. And for me, I need a high level of accountability and I need a daily inventory. You know, that's, that's 12 step language, but every, every day at the end of the day, I need to look at myself in the mirror and say, what did you do good today? What did you do bad today? And that's for anyone with any kind of struggle, man, woman, whatever. If you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of your day, say, what did I do good today? Three things. What did I do bad today? Three things that I, I feel like you are on the road to success. Success looks different for everyone, but for me, um, I just want to feel good. You know, I, I still do my, my, uh, caffeine because the restaurant that I work at, my family, family, this is also a coffee shop. So I definitely enjoy, um, a nitro cold brew or a, a good, strong cup of coffee. Um, and I still do nicotine. Um, that's one thing that I just haven't felt like I need to give up yet. And that day I'm, I'm sure will come, but, uh, for now that's where I'm at. And at 345 pounds and six feet tall, I, I can confidently say I, I feel better now than I ever have. And I'm going at my own pace. I, I don't feel like I have to rush. I don't feel a whole lot of pressure on me all the time to get to a certain number. I just, you know, I had an old timer in of Readers Anonymous tell me one time, I, I still stay in contact with him. Um, he said, in OA, we have what's called the 301 rule. He said, you eat three meals a day, zero snacks, and you take it one day at a time. And, and I've, I've applied that for the most part on weekends. I take it easy, but for the most part, I've applied that in my day-to-day -day eating habits and it, it has helped me tremendously. So. Well, that bring and, and that kind of brings us through it all. And so I think there's a lot of things there for us to kind of go back into and talk about for sure. And I appreciate your openness because, and it, it's incredible. Like I've, I've talked to several people and I've even not even on the podcast, like uh, mostly through social media and other people I've been connected to and in real life. And, you know, that it, the elephant in the room about eating disorder treatment, I think is often that it's focused on a model about, around treating anorexia. And so treating people that are afraid of eating and, you know, deal with that, you know, and I don't say that lightly, like, that are afraid of putting on weight, you know, like live with a moral fear of what they're putting into their bodies and also use exercise as a way to eliminate, you know, it's not, you know, exercise anorexia is a very real thing as well. And so when someone who struggles more with binge eating and, you know, the detrimental effects of binge eating without eliminating, um, you know, being, you know, wearing it is in weight and other health issues and things along those lines there can be a disconnect because the, the model of, you know, and I've, I've even worked with individuals that have been in treat, you know, in inpatient treatment for eating disorders that come through it he much heavier than they were when they went in, you know, for lack of a better term, because of what the, the program required. And I, I think there's going to have to eventually be an, a shift in the modality that's used in, in that treatment to, really be able to help people and not just be blanket treating, which, you know, so uh, everyone there has a, has their, their hearts in the right places, but it's just the actions that, you know, I think 
can drive people in the wrong direction. But, and I'd love for us to talk about that too. But I, what I want to kind of get back into is like, cause I relate a lot to what you first started talking about, you know, in terms of where your disordered patterns with eating developed, you know, in terms of having it come from that place of youth, because I think adults aren't really trained how to handle children that deal with food issues. Like, there's adults aren't trained how to deal with children at all in this world, except from what they see, around, you know, right. what people doing around them. You know, there's no licensing for parenting and I'm not saying there should be, but you know, how do you handle when you see your child's weight getting out of hand and feel like you're controlling the things that you can control in, you know, and then like you go to the doctor and the doctor's advice is always, you know, eat, di- have them eat different or have them move more like, Okay. You know, we all know how great that works out for adults, never mind how that works for kids. And I think there's that rebellious side of us as kids. Like I, you know, my, I've told this story many times on this show, you know, being put on Weight Watchers at 10 years old and losing all the weight because I was being paid by the pound to lose the weight. And then as soon as I hit that quote unquote goal weight, I took a lot of that money and spent it on candy. Like as a kid, you're, you're not thinking you're like you said, it, it's either you develop that real fear of the future, or you just have no way to fathom, you know, when you're eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, that someone's telling you, well, when you're 40, you might not live to see 40. At 10 years old, 40 seems like 100. Like, there, it's a matter of perspective and, you know, understanding, you know, and even as a kid, we're not required to work 40 hour a week jobs and pay bills and do all of those things. So we're not thinking about what it's like to move through the world and access things and all of that. Like, we're in a very different place. And, it can, you know, I do think there's, there's so many issues there that I think people listening will relate to in terms of, you know, we get to that place of sneak eating, you know, I think sneak eating is like something that a lot of kids, you know, and adults, it continues into adulthood, but that pattern of behavior starts when we're young and we carry, you know, it can carry through in, in a lot of ways into our adulthood. But I definitely, you know, I used to hide my, my candy bar wrappers in my gym bag and once a week empty the gym bag out. And my parents found that gym bag once and I hadn't emptied it yet. And that led to a huge confrontation. But, and of course, then they come at it from a place of anger or disappointment or, you know, it's hard not to wear those things on their face and then be the kid seeing your parents feel that way. And so instead of being like, I'm going to fall in line, it's like you almost push back against it in a lot of ways. Like how we, you know, there's no one set path for how we develop these behaviors but I think there's some commonality, you know, that can be found sometimes. And so I just want to validate for you, like I uh, completely, you know, relate to that, that story, you know, you're telling from growing up and for you, as you like, when, because you had those discussions with the doctors and you know, like how your, your family reacted, like, when did you, do you have a conscious memory of like when the first time you were like, okay, I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to go on a diet. Like when did that enter the equation for you? Honestly, um, well, I remember when I was, I believe I was 17 at the time and I went to have a physical because I was in, uh, I was in marching band and I remember going and sitting down with the nurse practitioner. And I remember her saying, um, you've got some markers for pre-diabetes and she said, I I would like to run some more tests if you could come back in. And I I remember never going back in. We never, 
you know, I, that doctor is still involved in the community, and I, I see her often. And I, I wonder how differently things would have played out had I gone to that appointment. Um, but even that, it scared me, and it's it's etched in my mind. But even that didn't really cause any change because I I was just getting freedoms. I was just able to drive. You know, I could go I could go to a fast food restaurant before band practice. I got the clearance to be in marching band despite having the markers of prediabetes and so it didn't it didn't really hit me until I was 18 or 19 and I had broken up with the girl that towards the end of my high school career I thought I would eventually marry um and I was just a single dude living in college almost three hours away from the town he grew up in with you know, the world at my fingertips could do whatever I wanted. And I moved to college three days after I graduated high school. And um, I remember when I got there, I had to be trained as an RA or on campus. And when I got there, most of the students had left for the summer except for the athletes that were training, you know. and I remember seeing how fit most of the athletes, even at a junior college, how well they took care of themselves. And I remember wanting that, you know, I would go to the gym and I would talk to these guys that, you know, found a fire inside of them at 28 or 30 and lost a hundred pounds and, decided to go back to college or had just quit drinking and lost a bunch of weight. And I remember feeling inspired by all of those stories. But on weekends, I would go back to the bar and to the wing stop or to McDonald's or whatever, doing what college kids do. And then on Monday morning, when it was time to go to class again, the reality check hit. I was just another big guy. I was just another guy that would, would always be big. Going back to our conversation with the doctor at a young age, that was just who I was going to be. I was, you know, I was just coming to accept that. Um, but I, I had the fight in me. I would still go to the gym. Um, I would still talk to girls that I was interested in. Um, usually would not be very well received um, because of, of my weight. Um, but it's still, seeing all those other guys and girls take such good care of their bodies and perform at such a high level made me want that. But not so much so that I was willing to make small sacrifices. And l later in life, I remember... Um, having a conversation with this sweet old lady who, who actually recently just passed. We affectionately referred to her as uh, Mima. And I remember her, she was a, a praying woman, an old Christian lady. And she, uh, she was sitting at the bar at the coffee shop one day. <laughs> she always said exactly what she thought. She said, Son, you've put on some weight. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. And um, I remember telling her, I, I really 
feel like I need to get a hold on this. And she said, but you don't feel that strong enough to actually do something about it. And I remember walking away from that conversation a little frustrated because this this sweet praying grandma had just told me that I needed to get my crap together. But also, like, it, it lit a fire in me. Um, and I've always kept that in the back of my mind. Like, if, if you, and to anyone who's listening to this, um, if you want change in your life, you are going to have to put forth effort. Even if that means getting a medical professional involved, um, and I'm not, I'll be the first to say, even though the first time I tried college, it was I was accepted into nursing school. I am not a medical professional. I'm just a guy that's always struggled with his weight. I'm a chef, you know, which is as a whole different element of uh, difficulty to this, this challenge. Um, but at the end of the day, if you want change, you're going to have to sacrifice something. That is the the most important thing I can tell anyone when it comes to solving any type of addictive compulsive behavior. Behavior, excuse me. Um, you're going to have to make a sacrifice at the end of the day, and you have to determine how big of a sacrifice that's going to be. You know, um, anything worth having is worth working for. If you don't work for it, then you're not going to appreciate it. Whenever you get to that number or that pair of pants that's been tucked away in a corner, or that shirt that your grandma bought you that you've never had the courage to wear in public, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Um, you, you set small goals and you achieve them, and then you set bigger goals, and you just continue growing. You know, it's like investing, compounding interest. You know, you just continue doing it day in, day out. You do the work when nobody's watching, and then you get that reward. And, and it's not for everybody else. Like, to God be the glory, if, if, you know, somebody hears this and they follow me on Instagram or they add me on Facebook and they're inspired and a fire is lit under them and they change their lives and all their dreams come true, that would be wonderful. But at the end of the day, what I'm doing day in and day out when nobody is watching, that's for me. That's for my future wife, my future children. Um, for God and for my family, um, it's not for social media followers. It's not for um, a bigger bank account. I I couldn't care less about those things. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. The hype is is real, and I appreciate it. But at the end of the day, I'm doing it for me. Okay, time for a quick break to talk about the show's sponsor, which is John Shane's Performance Gains. John is a frequent guest on the program. You know him as the Keto Road, and he's created two products that I use regularly, including the True Endurance Caffeine-Free Pre-Workout. So you, It's a pre-workout you can take in the morning, at night, in the afternoon, and not worry about it affecting your ability to sleep or anything along those lines, and it also has a great boost of energy from ketones. Energize Reds is a recovery drink. It's got super fruit, antioxidants, a boost of electrolytes, and a little bit of matcha tea in there to give you energy and also help you recover from your workouts. It's something you want to take regularly, and I take it daily. So if you are interested in either of these products, use the link in the show notes and our new code, 
which is Fat Guy. So John will know if you're coming from this show. And if you're looking to support the program and try something new for yourself, this is a great way to get into it. So if you have any questions about these products, you can let me know because I'm using them. But also, go check them out. Link in bio. Use that code FATGUY. Save yourself 5% and support the show. Back to the program. Well, what do you think it was that kept you from doing it for you, you know, in the past? You know, does that make sense? Like, having that perspective now on what that sacrifice is needed. But I think a lot of people, you know, myself included, you know, in, in my past can relate to that idea of, you know, seeing what other people are doing, wanting to do what they're doing, you know, even when it comes to like physical activity in the gym and, you know, seeing people, you know, their relationships with food and like wanting what, you know, and this is, and again, that's it's a loaded question for sure, you know, but having that want, but that want not being strong enough to really translate into a need that drives behavior. Like, what do you think were the things that were holding you back from, you know, flipping that switch in your past? Um, if I were to be completely honest with you, Gormy, I think the, the number one thing was drugs and alcohol. Um, because if I could find a way to drown my sorrows with... And I know that I hate a cliche. I really do. Um, but if I could find a way to drown my sorrows without having to, you know, they say treat the, not the disease, whatever. If I could find a way to numb that so that I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to talk, I didn't have to trust. But I could put on a smile and pretend like everything was okay. Then maybe eventually everything would be okay. And it wasn't. It wasn't for years and years and years and years. I wasn't okay. It got so serious with me that I contemplated taking my own life. Um, I I got to a low that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And so now I take action. When someone corrects me, I listen. When someone says, you need to do this, but you're doing this. I take inventory. I don't wait 24 hours or two weeks or two days. I do it right then. Is there truth to what this person's telling me? That's when the change happens. When you, when you become willing to accept that someone else knows more about your struggle than you do, then you can change. You know, there's a, there's a great quote and I can't remember who said it and I'm going to butcher it. There's a, there's a great, great quote that says when the pain you may have to help me out with this. When the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing, so on and so forth. I don't remember the end of the quote, but everyone that's listening that is going to hear this has probably heard that quote. And for me, I had to get to the point where for me to stay 410, 412 pounds, not being able to walk. You know, I worked at Outback Steakhouse in the Raleigh area in North Carolina and stay in sober living that was maybe half a mile from the steakhouse. And I remember, man, I remember blaming it on everything. Like, oh, these shoes, man, they're awful. I got to get some new shoes. And and sometimes it would be the sun, you know, that North Carolina sun. Golly, man, it's, it's so hot out here. No, I needed to lose weight. That's why I was miserable. I needed to, I needed to get under get my issues under control at the end of the day. That's what needed to happen. But I still 
was grasping at straws, trying to find an excuse, trying to find something to pin it on other than Devin's got a problem with compulsive overeating and he needs to get his life under control. So, well, that's what we do, isn't it? I know that's a really, yeah, I I know that's a really long-winded answer to that question, but that's what did it for me, man. I I knew that if I continued down the path I was going, that my parents were going to attend my funeral and I, I did not want that to happen. Um, so I started taking steps, um, which eventually became strides to make a change. And right now it's working. Well, we insulate our addictions, right? Like to, like that that part of that addictive part of ourself wants us to find any reason, except the behavior, the addictive behavior to be the reason for the things you're feeling. Cause it's almost like you have that two sides of yourself. Like that part that is fully lost in whether it's compulsive overeating, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, you know, that is lost in the, in the addiction. And then you have that part of you that's like the waking, you know, the, the waking up sober and realizing, okay, you know, my mobility sucks. I'm in a lot of pain. I don't like what this, you know, I don't like the life that I'm living, like all of that side of it. But I think especially as, as addicts, we have that place where we, we want to blame anything else because right now we know other, no, we know no other way to handle the things that we handle with the addiction. So, and also, and it's also like this idea, like I remember, you know, something that popped in my head was just this idea, you know, this thing that, you know, I wrote about in a blog once, which is that idea that these behaviors live and thrive in the shadows. Like we keep our, you know, our addictive, you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, especially when we're, you know, compulsively eating or dealing with food addiction and we wear that addiction in a lot of ways on our bodies, but even drugs and alcohol, like, we do our best so that it's not something that we're showing to people. Like it's not something that people are seeing or if they're seeing us eat in public, you know, it's like, this is the way they quote unquote think a person should be eating. Like, because if we drag it out into the light, we see the real impact of that behavior. And then you start to have to say, okay. And and this is one of the things that I think it's really hard sometimes, especially, you know, when I work with clients on these issues, like, the hardest part is like when you become fully aware of what you're using that behavior for, it's like things get harder when you're mindful. Like when you know that you're turning to food to deal with stress or turning to food to just be comforting and be a numbing thing or, you know, in it, you know, people can insert their own, you know, the own issue, their own addiction and issue they deal with into that equation. But it's like, then you're starting to, you start to become conscious of, I know I should be doing something else, but I'm still living in this behavior. So it's like, it was easier to live in ignorance of the behavior than it was to be a hundred percent fully conscious every day to do that reflection, you know, you know, the language you're using, you know, to do that inventory, like to be in that place of, you know, what are the things that I'm doing that are working? What are the things I'm doing that, you know, I need to be working on like, yeah, there's, there's a funny, it's funny. You say that there's a funny saying it's funny, but it's not, there's a funny saying in 12 step rooms. You know, I've, I've been a part of AA and OA and, fill in the blank, but there's a funny saying that goes something like nothing will ruin your drinking like a 12 step meeting, (laughs) you know, like once you know, and you're consciously aware, it's like when I first got saved, you know, and I got to the point where, where I knew that what I was doing was wrong and I knew that I needed to take steps to fix it, but I still had that little part inside of me that said, or the little voice, whatever, um, that said, just keep doing it. It'll be okay. 
you know. But once you have that that other the the good voice, the conscience, the whatever you want to call it, once you have that, you can't get rid of it. And if and if you do, it's going to take a lot of really really poor decision making. Like I had I had to work really really hard to make bad decisions after I knew that the things that I was doing were going to kill me. At the end of the day, that's I, that's what I had to do. Like I, I had to put an effort to get high. I had to put an effort to get drunk. I had to put an effort to overeat because I knew, you know, I, I completed fundamentals in nursing school. And so I learned about nutrition there. And I've had God, God only knows how many personal trainers I've, I've worked with. And, you know, I've, I've talked to dietitians and nutritionists and health coaches and yada, yada, yada. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter what all those people told me. What mattered is whether or not I was willing to take the necessary steps to make a change for the better. And and I'm thankful and I'm blessed that I now have my circle gets seems to get a little bit smaller as I get older, and I, I'm starting to kind of like it that way. But I am at the point now where I have a group of mostly men. And some women, you know, I, I would throw my mom in that category and my little sister and um, a couple of other people that I have in my life. But anyway, I have a circle of people that I, I lean on, pillars, if you will. Um, I'm sitting in the driveway of the house that I grew up in, um, and I'm about to go to a Thanksgiving, we'll say Friendsgiving potluck. Um, and as I was cooking, what I was going to bring, I had to prepare my mind to be around food that I know I don't need to eat. Um, so when I was cooking the food, I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I call myself a hard knock chef. You know, I didn't go to culinary school, but I've worked in tons of restaurants. I grew up cooking, started cooking at like 13. Um, so I decided that I was going to cook foods that I knew I could eat. You know, Brussels sprouts with Parmesan and bacon and uh, bacon-wrapped um, venison backstrap. Like, things that I knew were okay um, for me that would not make me sick or make me overeat. And the things that I know are going to make me want to overeat or are going to make me sick, then I'm just going to avoid them. Um, and I would... I, anyone who struggles with disordered eating... You know, it's a, it's a tough time of year for us. They call it the Bermuda Triangle in, in AA. Uh, you, you have Thanksgiving and Christmas and Halloween, and it's easy to say, well, I'll just let my, myself loose. I'll wear my stretchy pants. You know, I'll, I'll get back to it Monday. Well, that's a dangerous game for guys like you and I. Um, Monday, Monday never seems to come. Um, and then you get to a point where, you don't feel like you can ever get back to where you were. You know, I remember when I was last year, I was down to 294 pounds, right? And I I posted about this on my Instagram um, and my Facebook, but I remember being at that weight, and that, that was always like the unattainable goal for me. Like I could never, once I got under 300 pounds, I could never stay there. And I finally got there after a lot of help from a lot of people. You know, I, I was in a recovery program on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. 
um, where, where I did hard work for seven months. Um, but anyway, I remember being there and then getting out of that program and getting out of sober living and being in a situation where I was completely free and I just wanted to be a guy who was confident in his own, own skin again. You know, I, I wanted to go out on a downtown square on a Friday or Saturday night and have a good time, be able to talk to anyone in the bar, whatever, fill in the blank. Things I, I thought I'd never be able to do because I was at a point that I never thought I'd be. And coming out of that season and now being about 50 pounds heavier than where I was at my lightest as an adult, you know, I can still have conversations with the pretty girl at the restaurant. I can still do all the things that I was doing when I was, quote unquote, at my goal weight, you know, um, because if you're, you know, it's like, it's like the person that, that works a nine to five Monday through Friday job. And every day when they come in, they say, I can't wait until Friday. I can't wait until Friday. Well, you'll Friday yourself to death. You know, like if all you're looking forward to is the end of your week, then I would probably change something. Like what if something really great is going to happen on Wednesday, but you miss it because all you care about is Friday, you know, and, and, and if that's convicting to anyone that's listening to this, then it should be, you know, spend time with your family, spend time with your children, you know, spend time with your mentors, because those are the people that are going to improve your quality of life. And if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are Debbie Downers and they're always talking about how bad things are and rushing their lives away, then find a new friend group and like challenge those people. Be the person in the pack that says, you know what? This this ain't the way, man. I, I got to do something different um, because that's when that's when things started to change for me, man. Um, when I when I found new people, people that I knew cared about me and loved me and wanted me to succeed, everything shifted, and and I've got momentum that I've never had before right now, and um, I'm just thankful. Well, and I think that's something that people sometimes hear, and they that well, especially people that you know. They don't want to think about some of the, how some of the changes, like we want to just change what we're putting on our plate and have that be the solution for everything. And really it's got to be about everything that's going on in your life because this behavior came from everything that's going on in your life. Like, and, and one of the things that is, is, you know, always been an interesting conversation I think to have is that idea that, you know, especially as, as people that struggle with disordered eating or addiction, that a lot of times we drew ourselves to be around the people that would enable that behavior to continue, you know, 100%. So it's got, and at the end of the day, when you have to pull yourself away from those people, sometimes, you know, they get hurt because clearly their, their interactions with us had zero to do with that behavior, you know, from their perspective. But it's like from that place of us where we have to be honest and say like what that person brings into my life, was something that I was using in a negative way that that person didn't even know that I was using in a negative way. And so, yes, to, to them, might it not seem fair that I'm saying for my personal health and safety, you know, I can't be a part of this anymore. You know, like I can't be a part of that environment anymore. And I'm not telling you that it's wrong for you to be in that. You know, I'm not speaking to anyone else's behavior. I need to speak to what's right for me. You know, I need to speak to what I need, you know, because you start to get honest about the fact that, you know, as much, you know, you, you hear people in, you know, people that struggle with alcohol, alcoholics, like, you know, they had drinking buddies, you know, I had eating buddies, like you have, you know, that's the same exact, you know, it could be the same exact thing. It's, it's, and it's hard to, again, it goes back to in a lot of this, it goes back to facing hard truths that 
we don't always want to be honest about and we don't want to examine because here's and, and this is the other thing like and i'll be interested in your perspective on this too is like i think one of the really hard things when you struggle with addictive behavior one the addictive behavior you know we start using things for certain reasons and sometimes we deal with those reasons and that behavior is so ingrained that now you're dealing with having to handle the behavior itself not just what i was using it for but also when we have used food as like a coping mechanism for emotions or for soothing us when we're dealing with challenges or numbing us from the pain we're feeling in other areas of our lives you don't just automatically you can't just say I'm going to change the food that I'm eating and all of a sudden, all of those situations that were challenging you go away. You're still going to have stress. You're still going to have pain. You're still going to have all of that. And that I think, I, that's the thing I think we don't talk about enough is the idea. It's not just about identifying things that you're using as coping mechanisms, but then finding other ways to either, you know, be honest and identify, was I using this to avoid an issue? So I need to face that issue head on. And that's hard and that's scary and that can take a lot of work. Or do I need to find better ways to handle these things that I can't control? You know, identify the things you can control and tackle them. But if there are situations and stressors and challenges in your life that you can't control and you're always going to, you know, you're going to face some ramifications from them, how do I cope with those situations in ways that serve my health and serve my life and don't bring me closer to the grave? Like, and that's the hard thing because. That means identifying behavior that you've probably either never put into that context or have never done before. And there's no list of, you know, there's no, li there's no book out there that says if, okay, if you're dealing with food issues, here's 25 things you can do instead of eating. Like to do, right. to do with stress. Well, here, here's the interesting, here's the interesting thing. Um, I, so I worked with kids for a brief, very brief season. I worked with kids that had emotional behavior disorders, and I remember working in a pair as a parapro in these classrooms. The person training me told me, "Okay, whenever there is a crisis, you can imagine the type of crisis crises that you would have in that situation." But she said, "Whenever there's a crisis, remember everybody eats, and it's." I didn't plan to speak on this, but it fits here, and so I'm going to share it. Eat, escape, attention, or trigger. So whenever something happens that you would consider a crisis in your life, and you respond to it, and you create a crisis, are you trying to escape? Are you creating attention for yourself, positive or negative? I think a lot of people use social media for that. Um, or did it come from a trigger? If you can identify, you know, obviously it's better to get ahead of these types of situations. You know, so if, like I said, I'm going to a potluck tonight, I have to mentally prepare myself for triggers, you know. Um, so the thing is, is self-awareness and, and, you know, I, I'm a Christian man, so I, I have to pray and I have to talk to my pastor and, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Um, obviously, we want to be proactive and not reactive, but at the end of it, sometimes slip-ups happen. Grace is important in this process. And so if, if, if you're coming out of a binge, um, if you're coming out of a relapse, fill in the blank, were you trying to escape? Were you trying to find attention? Or were you triggered by something? Now, 
all this all this boils down to is a mental health crisis. If we get if we really you and I get down to the nitty gritty of this thing, this country does not take care of people that struggle with mental health. I'll say that um, confidently um, to anyone that asks me. Uh, we're not doing enough, especially for men who struggle with mental health. Because I, I grew up in the southeastern portion of the United States. I'm in southeast Georgia and um, down here, it's a, it's a, you know, embrace the grind, embrace the suck, pull up your bootstraps, and you know, keep trudging through it type of mentality. And quite frankly, that's BS. A lot of times, like it sounds good to just trudge and 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 grind it out and embrace the suck and all the cliche things that these social media influencers are saying. Yeah, that sounds good. But then, what about the days where you literally can't? Like you get up. And you have to hold the wall to keep from falling down because your knees and your ankles hurt. What about those days? We're not talking about those days, right? We're we're just talking about the Monday through Friday grind, right? We're creating this false narrative that you can just talk yourself out of any bad situation. No, you can't. You can't. It's unrealistic. Um, you have to lean on people, you know, God, self, and others. You, you need a, a higher power of some sort. Um, you need yourself and you need to decide right now right here I, i'm i'm going to make a change and then you need other people that have have made that change and are successful doing what you're trying to do and you cling to them with everything you have you hold on to those people because at the end of the day they are going to save your life and i i'm thankful for my people man i'm, I'm thankful that i found those people um I'm thankful for people like you that are creating an environment where we can get on, get on social media, get online, and we can have these conversations without fear of judgment or um, fear of being canceled. I, I don't, I don't buy into cancel culture, man. I think everybody's entitled to an opinion, um, but at the end of the day, it's it's just be proactive and not reactive. If if you know you're in a in a spiral, try to try to stop the spiral before it starts. Call somebody. You know, that person that told you if you ever need anything, call me. If you need something, call that person. And if they don't answer, hold them accountable later on. But make sure you have those numbers and those people that you can reach out to in times of need. 100%. And I think you, you spoke to something I think that's important for people to hear that are listening to the show. Because I think a lot of people listening, you know, they probably found this show through social media. And there's a lot of voices in the social media space that especially when it comes to talking about relationships with food and weight loss and health that are not speaking to these issues from the perspective of someone that has truly struggled, struggled with their relationship with food. Like it's, it's often those messages, you know, and it's the, the rah, rah, you know, yelling messages that are like, you immediately today need to hundred percent change everything that you're doing. And it's simple. Just make these simple changes and do them every day. And everything will be taken care of. And, you know, and that's why, like, I'm always like, yes, can, can change be simple? It can, you know, on some levels, but that does not at all imply that it's easy. And I think often, that's exactly right. and I think often these, you know, these messages imply that it is easy and that if it feels hard, just suck it up and it'll be easy. Like if you just suck, you know, that whole idea of just sucking it up. And I think instead it's about acknowledging times that it really is a fight and it's hard. And there are days, you know, especially when you're dealing with being sober from something, you know, that can be about 
you know, there are going to be days, there are going to be days that you sail through, you know, there are going to be days, even days that are challenging, but you handle all those challenges, like they're a breeze. Then there are days where the same challenges, like you said, you know, it feels like you're barely able to stand those days. You're barely able to move, you know, one foot in front of the other those days. And yes, it's important to fight, but it's also important to say, this is really hard right now. And I need, I need to find some, you know, a person, I need to find a resource, or I need to find a way for myself to be able to say, it's okay that today is hard. You know, it's okay for me to, today, it's okay for me to manage my feelings, even if other things feel unmanageable, you know, and if it's, you know, I I think it's giving yourself the grace to, you know, and I think you're, you know, when you were telling your story, you were speaking to this, especially towards the end, it's that idea that, we, we also live in a culture where you see a lot of people, you know, and I feel like this went away for a while. And I don't know if it's just that I've become more sensitive to it of late, but I'm seeing a lot more like people that are working as co- in coaching in the health space. Like I'm looking for 10 people that want to drop 30 pounds in two months. You know, I'm looking for, you want to lose 10 pounds this week, you know, sign up for my program, 10 pounds and like making promises about behavior. And then when you're the person that doesn't lose the 10 pounds in the week, doing everything you think you're supposed to be doing. You then go back to that place of, well, I failed. Why am I even trying? I'm going to go right back to what I was doing before. Instead of saying, I don't have to put a time frame on this because the goal in the end is to continue living. The goal in the end is to use, you know, use that time that I have and understand that it's going to take time. You know, and you know that, you know, you're 28, I'm 50. You know, we, we have decades of, of living in that behavior that was, was killing us. So it may take decades before we get to a place of being like, whoa, you know what? I feel like everything that I need to be doing is in line right now and feels easy and feels like, you know, feels like everyday behavior. Like, and for some folk, it also never comes. Like for some folk, you know, there are going to be things that we have to fight for our entire lives. Like, and that's okay when we have an understanding of why that fight is important, you know, when we're able to be conscious of it. And if the idea is to fight for your life, yeah, there are going to be some days that still feel like fights. And there are going to be some days when we have to use the tools that we're using. You know, it's like when I talk with someone and they're like, well, you know, right now doing X, Y, and Z is helping me, you know, reach my goals, but, and it's making me feel better and I'm feeling freer and I'm getting relief from these things that I've been dealing with. And I don't have the cravings as much. And I, you know, I haven't binged in three months and, but I don't know if I, I want it's And it's not that I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. It's, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. And that's when you really have to get to like, okay, so all of these things that you're doing have brought all of these wonderful things into your life. You know, they've given you all, you know, this behavior is what's given you what you're saying that you love and you want to stop that behavior. Why? You know, dig into that feeling. Don't just let that feeling be something where it's like, I'm just going to dominate that. Cause that's the whole, that's the finish line mentality. Like, I'll follow a way of eating. I'll work on these behaviors. I'll see a therapist until I get to the place, you know, where I feel like physically I'm doing great and the scales where I want it to be. And all of these things are great. And then I can stop doing all of that stuff that got me here instead of realizing it's all the stuff that you did to get you there that reinforces you being able to be there and stay there. So are there going to be things that you need to do for the rest of your life? There may be, you know, it's, it feels deeply unfair. And I, you know, I want to validate that feeling for people. But if you're someone that struggles with disordered eating or food addiction or an addiction of any kind, it may feel unfair that you can't quote unquote be normal around your, your substance of choice for the rest of your life, but nothing's guaranteed to us to be fair.
And it comes down to quality of life issues. And if we want the quality of life that we achieved, there are times where we're then we're going to have to say, I need to be mindful about this for the rest of my life. It's when people talk about, you know, especially you see this hotly debated and you went into an inpatient program for eating disorders, like in the, the kind of the addiction space, the food addiction space, the eating disordered space, you know, you see an awful lot of people saying the way to defeat a food addiction is just to give yourself, you know, and I feel like I'm a broken record saying this on this show, but you know, it's the, it's the nutrition issue says, you know, I also had a, you know, had an addiction issue when it came to food and it, you know, for me, ice cream was my trigger. So the way I get over it was I filled my freezer with ice cream and I let myself have as much ice cream as I wanted. And eventually I realized I didn't want ice cream anymore. And I'm like, well, I tried that for a, a solid four years and that didn't work out for me. You know, there was no, there was, you know, there was never a day that I was eating, you know, two fun, two full bags of Reese's cups that I thought, you know what? I don't feel like I want Reese's cups anymore. I never woke up the next day <laughs> feeling like, Oh, a Reese's cup doesn't sound good. And yeah, we could go off and probably tangent for an hour on food quality and hyper palatability and all of that. But it is that idea of, I just, it's one of those things where I do. And are there people that deal with these issues that can find ways to, you know, activate that moderator inside of them that was there all the time. And they had just never really, you know, really never really exposed. I, I think that happens to people, but I think they're the outliers. And I think the bigger real the bigger reality is there are some of us that have to realize that foods will never have a place in our life again. Or if they have a place in our life, it's like it's it's that place of I'm doing this, I'm conscious of this, and I know, you know, I talk with with clients about it, you know, when they're dealing with I want to make the choice, you know, especially you got Thanksgiving coming up. You know, there are family traditions and my grandmother's there and she's making pie that and she may not be around next Thanksgiving, so I want to have a piece of her pie. And I'm like, well, let's talk about you making you know, a conscious choice around that and then consciously understanding what you might deal with for the next couple of days. Like, you know, and is that the worth it point? It's not, is the taste worth it? Because we're always going to say yes. You know, it's always going to be that piece, of, that piece of grandma's pie is always worth it. But if you're in a place where you don't feel like you're on a stable footing and it's not something you can manage, having the pie for the sake of having the pie and then dealing with either, you know, an off the rails binge for the next three days after, for the next year and a half after, for the next five years after, or just the fact that the, you know, you're in a place where then knowing that you're going to deal with cravings for days and all of that, like, doesn't feel manageable, put that in the context of the choices that you're making. Understanding that it's okay to be that person. And there are times where we're going to be that person for the rest of our lives around some things. And there may be times where we're not that person. And we may find out that there are foods that we can moderate, but it's being willing to understand that restriction isn't always a negative. You know, we, we add this, this negative connotation to the word of restriction. Like, cause let's be honest, like I haven't heard people sitting on a podcast talking about, well, you know, you struggled with alcoholism for 30 years and now we just want to get you to the place where you know, you, you can drink freely and it, it's not an issue and we'll get you there. You know, no one's out there promising coaching to help someone who struggles with an alcohol addiction to get them to, to moderate alcohol because that, you know, imagine the backlash to that, but there are people out there every day promising people that struggle with food addiction that I will teach you how to eat the foods that you're addicted to and you'll be able to have them in your life without restriction forever. And I think it's more about like what you, you talked about being able to find ways to make that when restriction feels like too much, being able to be conscious of it. 
and understanding that you can make those choices. And it doesn't mean that that choice ends everything that you're doing. And it's the end of, you know, when you have that, when you do have that sandwich with the bread, you're not, it's not that you've thrown away everything that you've done and everything that you're doing, you know, getting, having to get to that place mentally is the work to do. Go ahead. No, yeah, I, I think that there's too many people that preach moderation, you know, um, so my dad is a retired Marine and um, I love him. I have nothing but respect for him and, and you won't hear me say anything bad about him. He would always say moderation is the key. Now, I've never seen my dad and thought he's put on some weight. You know, I see him now and I compare him to who he was or what he looked like 10, 12, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, and I can tell that he has gotten older. Obviously, we're all getting older. Um, but my, na- my dad has never been overweight, you know, with, with air quotes or whatever. I, and so when I hear him say moderation, it makes me cringe because what's moderate for him isn't moderate for me. And I can't. You know, you and I can't just go out and eat a Snickers bar and then be okay for the next eight hours. Like, no, dude, if I eat a Snickers bar, and and as seriously as I can say this, if I eat a Snickers bar, um, then, well, today I went off. You know, today's an off day. Today's a cheat day. You know, that's, that's another thing that people like to throw around. Have a cheat day. You know, treat yourself, whatever. Um, and that does two things. That creates an attitude of entitlement, like I've gotten to this point, so I deserve X, Y, Z, which is dangerous. And it also sparks something in our brains. The same thing that happened when I used to get high, you know, it sparks something in our brains that says, oh, this is good. Oh, I I really, really like this. I think I'm going to go get some more. And then you do, and then you wake up the next day and you're sick because you literally had candy for dinner. Um, and you look back at the people that say moderation is key. And you think, what are you talking about? Like, do you even know, <laughs> do you even understand what my, stru- you know, and it, so it, it creates a, a disdain for, you know, I think a lot of people call it white coat syndrome where you're, you go to a doctor and your blood pressure rises and, you know, everything's wrong with you, whatever. Well, that happened to me in the the food space, you know, like talking to nutritionists and dietitians and health coaches, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. I was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you've always been the ideal weight for your height and you never had anyone tell you that you were going to die at a young age or that you were morbidly obese, whatever. So you don't know. And so I had to get to a point where I just had to filter everything that came in, you know, like, let me put things in this person's perspective and then let me flip it around and put it in my perspective. You know, um, everyone is speaking out of their own experience. And so if you don't have the experience of being morbidly obese, then you probably shouldn't talk to someone who is morbidly obese about how to change that reality. Like, 
sure if you go to a doctor who's always taking care of himself and he tells you, hey, you, you really need to lose weight. Here's some things that might help. Listen to that doctor. That's not that's not my, the point that I'm making. What I'm saying is you, you have to filter the information. You have to log off of social media and pick one or two people that are winning and hang out with them, spend time with them, listen to them, cry with them, laugh with them, pray with them, whatever, until finally you become that person for yourself. You know, accountability, transparency, honesty, openness, willingness, like all these things, you know, and, and I'm speaking a lot of 12-step jargon, um, but if we're honest in terms of any sort of recovery, that is the most successful program out there. I, Monday through Friday, I'm always in an early morning Zoom meeting at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Um, shout out to Zucaru. Um, I'm always in that early meeting because it always puts things in perspective for me first thing in the morning. I always hear someone say, I relapsed. I'm a chronic relapser. I don't know if I'll ever get it. I always hear someone say, um, I got 11 years today or I got nine years today or I've got my kids back or I have my own place. You know, like it, it gives me chills thinking about that, but that puts things in perspective for me because I know that number one, it's not as bad as it once was. And number two, it's not as good as it will be. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely does. And I think, and I think in the end it does become about, like you said, not just listening to what someone is telling you to do and finding what works for you, you know, finding what actually, and it gives you the relief you're looking for. gives you the peace you're looking for. gives you these, you know, whether it's structure or whatever is needed, you know, there can be times where what someone else did is what you need. And there are more often times where you need to find the elements that are going to help you and apply those elements and not just live in that place of, I want to do it exactly like that other person. You know, I think it's, we, the perspective, especially when we're dealing from the, the, the issue, you know, the concern of addiction is we have to start working on what we need, not what we want, because that voice that tells us what we want has been something that we shouldn't have been trusting for years. And we did. And eventually I think your needs and your wants can become more in line when you do the work. You know, when you're mindfully working on this every day. And like you said, you know. When you when make the sacrifices. Right. When you make the sacrifices. When you ask yourself those hard questions every day about how did today go? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What do I need to focus on tomorrow? You know, what am I grateful for today? When you're in the habit of those things, you can start to realize that the thing, you know, you can start to figure out the things that you really want. And they usually aren't that Snickers bar that sets you off for eight hours. You know, I used, I, I, I often used to describe it as like, for me, eating at, at times any kind of food was like letting the fuse on a bomb. And I had to focus on defusing that bomb after I ate or it was going to explode. And that explosion usually looked like me, you know, falling for those voices that were saying, well, you already made a choice that was off plan or you've already been eating or, you know, you've already you've already screwed up the day. So might as well really screw it up, you know, like and that's for me, you know, that's for me, the dangerous tunnel of like the quote unquote cheat having the perspective of a cheat meal. Do I make intentional choices that are off my plan now? I do, but I understand where they're coming from and I put them in context and I have a plan for them. When I would be in that place of, of quote unquote, today's a cheat night. And then my biggest thing was always like, well, 
they didn't have the exact ice cream I wanted or the pizza was a little overcooked or this wasn't great. So I have a right to, to keep trying to find it until I've had that perfect cheat meal. And if that takes me three days or that takes me 30 days, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep that going. Like I could fall into that trap really easy. Like understand that sometimes that you need to make some fundamental perspective shifts. Like you said, like understand the things that you need to sacrifice, understand the, the work that you need to do and apply it and give yourself the chance to see what life is like when you are in line with those, when you put your values in line with that, that work. I don't know if that was rambly or if it made any sense. For sure, man. So, you know, I, I, and I, I think Devin, like we were, we're, we're heading on a lot of stuff that I think it's important for people to hear. And I, I really appreciate your openness and all of this, like, you know, to kind of bring us to a place where we can, because I, I feel like this is a discussion we could keep having for a couple more hours. Um, and I don't want to take up your entire Sunday. But what are the things right now that give you that faith when you wake up in the morning that you're going to keep yourself moving forward? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, number one is God. Um, you know, the first three steps... In 12 steps can be summed up with, I can't do it, he can, I'm going to let him. Um, so I acknowledge my need. I know when I wake up in the morning that I, in order to continue moving in the right direction, I need God in my life. That's I'm not pushing that on anyone um, in 12 step lingo, they'd say higher power so as not to offend anyone to be inclusive, whatever. Um, but I, I'll say openly that I, I know that I need him. Um, also, I know that I need others. Like I said, I, I start my day with um, an hour-long Zoom call, and it is worth it. I'm not making any kind of sacrifice um, to take that meeting. But the, the, uh, the things that I'm sowing right now um, I will be able to reap for years and years and years and years. These are things that I'm going to be able to share with my children and my children's children, children, and so on and so forth for as long as I'm blessed to be on this earth, you know? Um, and so the, the short answer is God. The long answer, you know, is, is just, you just have to acknowledge that you can't do it by yourself. You know, like I said earlier, God's helping others. You know, you need God. You need you need to make the change inside. Um, I like to say the heart work is the hard work. You know, healing the damage and the broken parts of you that that's the that's the where the rubber meets the road. Once you figure out why you are continuing to go back to destructive patterns and behavior, boy, you can really hit the ground running then. But until you do that. Like, yeah, you know, you can, you can go do the cosmetic thing, whatever. And, and I'm not knocking people that do that. It has its place. But, um, I used to have a mentor that he would come in and he, he'd say, um, don't be a turd in a tuxedo, you know, and, and to unpack that, I think everyone can probably figure out what it means, but it doesn't matter what you, what you put on a turd, how you dress it it's a turd, you know, and, and I had to, I had to acknowledge 
late in my 20s, much later than I, I wish it would have happened, but I had to acknowledge that I was just a turn into tuxedo. I was just a guy that was damaged and broken and hurting um, that needed help, that needed God, that needed um, a change. And then that change, is it the, the Sam Cooke song, the change is going to come, you know, then that change can come. Um, and, and it has, and every day that I wake up and, and I'm sober and I don't compulsively overeat, then the change will continue. And, and that's just the thing, man, just, just keep pushing, you know, day in and day out, do the thing that nobody sees, say the prayer that nobody hears. Um, laugh when you want to, but cry when you need to. Like, these are things that I personally practice. You know, I used to hold in emotion. And I, I grew up believing in the South that men don't cry. I cry. I, you know, I, I, I don't hold in my emotions. I don't choke down tears because that's the stuff late at night when I'm laying in bed thinking about my, my day and doing my inventory. That's the stuff that drives me to, to drink or to get high or to eat. You know, the stuff that I don't talk about, that I stuff deep, deep down, that that's the that's the thing that's going to kill me. And I just had to come to terms with that reality, and I have now. And, you know, I, I, that's that's what works for me, man, at the end of the day. And um, so, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing everything that you did on the show today, man. Like, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I think we hit on some things that are going to provoke a lot of thought for people. So I appreciate that. Man, if, if people listening do want to connect with you, where do they find you? Um, so I am on Facebook. Um, I guess I can send you a link um, for my Facebook. It's, it's Devin with a Y, which is super weird. And I don't know why my mom did that to me, but uh, it's Devin, <laughs> Devin with a Y and then Woodle. Um, W-O-O-D-L-E on Facebook. Um, and then you can, you can really see lots of the stuff that I cook and some, some of my more transparent posts, um, on my Instagram, which is at chef, C-H-E-F, woo, W-O-O, nine, five. Um, I tried to, I'll be completely honest, man. I, I know I said I wasn't interested in followers, but I'll admit, after the fact, that before we recorded this, I thought to myself, how can I make my username more catchy? Just in case, you know, I end up trending at some point after this podcast airs. And then I I felt guilty about it. And I was like, you know what? No. I'm going to keep it the same thing that it is right now. And people will either like it or they won't. And whichever they choose is fine with me. Because, you know, at the end of the day, man, I am who I am. Uh, I, I work a program that works for me. Um, I, I still, I'm still damaged, but I'm not damaged goods. I'm not too far gone. And, and if you're listening to this, you're not either reach out to somebody. Um, don't bite the hand that feeds you and, um, just love, love people. Well, love yourself and love people well and, and trust that things will get better. I think that's an awesome perspective, Devin. And I appreciate you sharing it with everyone today. And I will put links to connect with Devin in the show notes, Devin. I end every episode with five questions I call the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready for your run through those questions? Yeah, man, let's do it. Okay, so question number one. Living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Um, 
All right, so I put a lot of thought into this. And so I have two things in my head. One I know lots of other people have said. And the other one I don't think anyone has said. And they're both good. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go with the one that I don't think a lot of people have said. I'm going to say Andrew Zimmern. Um, the the host of the Travel Channel show, um, where he, you know, I, I don't remember the name of the show, but anyway, he, he would just go around to different cultures and different countries, and he would try different types of food, and um, he would share with us the culture and and all of the the things that come with that, and you know, to me, that's that's why you know I could have been a nurse, I could have been a professional musician, but I chose to be a chef because. I like the way that food brings people together, and I, I I admire the way that came through in in his show. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Andrew Zimmer. I like it, and I will tell you, no one has ever given that answer. So you are correct in that place as well. Yes. There you go, man. There you go. Question number two, Devin. What's something about yourself that you love? <sighs> My ability to feel other people's emotions I, I consider myself i hope that wasn't too cliche because i told you guys i don't like cliches um i consider myself very empathetic almost to a fault um but i've i've been really low before and i know that feels like so and it, and for someone to be vulnerable with me requires a good bit of trust especially in today's world as connected as everyone is. So if I'm ever put in a position to listen to someone while they talk about what's hurting, it makes me hurt too. And um, that's, that's where the healing starts. You know, you, you, you got to feel the pain first. And, and so I think I'm, I'm the type of person that really can empathize with, with other people and, and uh, help them heal. I like it, man. Question number, where are we at? Number three. So Devin, in all of this work that you've done for yourself and that you're continuing to do, uh, what do you think has been the most important new habit that you've built? Early mornings. Um, I fought it for a long time. You know, you can... <laughs> You can get on an algorithm on social media where you're all, all you're listening to is like mindset, motivation, yada, yada, yada. David Goggins asking who's going to carry the boats. You know, Jocko showing you a picture of his watch at 4.30 in the morning, whatever. You know, um, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I guess it is good to get up early. Well, now I get up early. I don't have to be at work until 10, mind you, but I'm, I'm usually up. Monday through Friday by seven o'clock. That does a couple of different things, man. It, it gives you a little extra time to get your day started. Um, but it also creates discipline. And everybody knows what Jocko said about discipline. Discipline equals freedom. And to get free of whatever you're fighting, you're going to have to become disciplined. So that's, that's what, that's what I've started doing. And my energy levels higher, my circadian rhythm is is working a little bit better you know i don't stay up as late because i know i gotta get early, get up early and i think this coming week i'm gonna start working out early mornings too so it'll be interesting to see how how that affects me nice 
Question number four, man. What is a goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Let's see. Um, so for the next year, that's 365 days. Um, I'm going to say I would like to run my own catered event. Um, so cook all the food, hire whatever staff is necessary, um, and cater the event by myself. I, I, I help on the side right now, a chef, uh, cater weddings. And at some point he's going to cut me loose and say, all right, you got it, go with it. And I hope that happens in the next year. Nice. I like that, man. And last a question, last, last a question. I don't know what that is. Last question <laughs> for you on the main show today, man. Uh, if you could go back in time and, and give yourself a message, you know, when you're, you, you're, starting dealing with uh, with these challenges what what is a message you feel like a younger devin needed to hear easy does it um you know growing up i put so much pressure on myself <laughs> you know i i had pressure put on me for my family you know like i said my dad was a marine um my mom stepdad they owned a business so i grew up in a well-to-do household but I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself early on in my life. Um, so I, I would have, I would have just said easy does it, you know, slow down. You know, my high school song, as crazy as this is, I guess it's a good way to end, but my high school song was don't blink by Kenny Chesney. Um, now looking back, I wish I would have listened a little closer when I sat on the field and I, on my graduation out of high school, and that song played, I wish I'd have listened because had I, I would have realized how precious those years are on, on the back end. You, you wish you could go back and you wish you could do things different. So just, just give yourself grace. Easy does it. I like it, man. And you are doing the things you need to do to give yourself more years to come. So I think that's great to hear. Devin, I have really appreciated our conversation today. I just want to say a big thank you for coming on the show, man. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you had me, Gourmet. Thank you. You're welcome. And my conversation with Devin isn't over. It's going to continue on the Patreon after show. So if you are not signed up for the Patreon and you want to hear uh, over 50 extra episodes, you know, extra conversation continues. You know, I, I can't do the math. I'm not good at it. But there's hours and hours of content there with the guests on the show where we either go deeper into something or talk about a different perspective or just hear how the episode went for them. You can sign up for the Patreon and hear that. Connect with Devin. His information will be in the show notes. You know where to find me. That's all in the show notes, too. I, every week I tell you, remind you, I'm at Gourmet Goes Keto on Instagram and everywhere else. And you can email the show and all of that good stuff. So take advantage of that, y'all. And at the end of the day, remember, go out there, do something to amaze yourselves because you are the most amazing people I know. Then catch us here on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Mm-hmm.